Well, welcome to the first Sunday of Advent, in which the readings continue to sound a lot like these readings from the end of the church here. Kind of this apocalyptic end of the world, you know, type of stuff. And, uh, you know, and if you didn't grow up in a, uh, in a church that follows the, the traditional lessons of the church here, uh, this could probably throw you for a little bit of a loop. Because as far as the world is concerned, it's Christmas! It's pretty much been Christmas since October. Um, you know, I was stunned. You know, I remember in August seeing Halloween stuff at the, uh, the drug mart. And uh, it was still October and uh, Halloween hadn't even happened. And I saw the, for me, the real benchmark is the Reese's you know, pumpkins or Christmas trees. That's how you know what season you're in. Um, and as far as the world is concerned, it's Christmas. It's Christmas, yay! Um, you know, Black Friday, presents, uh, you know, cookies, music, Christmas music since October. Oh, um, I know some people love it. God bless you. It ain't me. But in the, in, in, you know, this is a big, big time of year um, because this is the time of comfort and joy for the wallets of every entrepreneur and business owner that's out there, right? As far as the world is concerned. You know, even though Black Friday was a lot smaller this year, um, by about 52%, I I read this morning uh, before I came in, um, this is a time of big money for business and, frankly, for charities too. Uh, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of budgets get met November, December. And uh, here in the church, Advent's a time of preparation. At one point, Advent was a six-week season uh, of, uh, of fasting and, and uh, of repentance. It's a time of remembering. It's a time to, to remember that we aren't the first people to wait. We're not the first people to wait for Jesus to come. See, at the end of the church here, we have all of these readings that kind of focus on the second coming of Christ. And we, we kind of delved into this, you know, we're, we're living in the kingdom of God right now. The kingdom of heaven has come, but the kingdom of heaven is coming, right? We, we talked about that a lot over those last three weeks. And we live in this this now-not-yet paradox, and we're waiting. We're waiting for Jesus to come again. But at the beginning of the church here, we start to look at how Jesus came the first time. At the end, at the end, he comes in judgment. But the first time, he came to bring salvation. He came to win our salvation by becoming one of us, dying on the cross for us, rising from the dead. And it's all getting started. And people were waiting for that to happen. And as we participate in this time of waiting, it puts us a little bit out of sync with the world. And I think that's good. I think it's okay to not match up with the world. In fact, I'm a little bit concerned that maybe we have taken too much time to fit with the world 
and to look too much like the world so that the world can't tell us apart from anything else. It's okay to be odd for Jesus' sake, to be different. Think about it this way. If the world is darkness, because that's the way God describes it in the scripture. If the world is darkness and you have the light of Christ in you, doesn't that mean that you ought to stand out? So it's okay to be a little bit weird in terms of how you approach this whole Christmas thing. And that's part of what we're doing here in Advent. We're embracing our our own weirdness that we might be a beacon of true comfort and joy in our world. So for the next few weeks, we're going to anticipate Jesus' first coming. For us, this is, this is remembrance. You know, Bob's right. There's a spoiler alert. We even confessed it in the Apostles' Creed. We have read Luke chapter 2. Most of us have it pretty much memorized from watching Linus on the Charlie Brown's Christmas special. That, that kind of King James version just really kind of goes through our brains every Christmas season. And that's a good thing. It allows us to really approach this as a celebration. But the people of the Old Testament, the people of the part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament, they had not read Luke 2 yet. They didn't understand or know how this all turns out. And it's not because you know, they were dumb or anything like that. It hadn't happened What they knew is that God had made promises. Promises to send a savior. He had had made that first promise all the way back in Genesis 3, 15. This is right after Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree in the midst of the garden, that that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, And God comes to them and says, did you eat from the tree? And and. Of course, you know, if you've read it, you know, Adam's like, uh, the woman gave me some fruit and I ate it. And the woman's like, uh, that serpent uh, tricked me. And yeah, I ate it. And God says to the serpent, you know, there's some consequences. There are consequences for the woman and for the man too. But when he's speaking to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, I'm going to drive a wedge between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, singular, will crush your head and you will crush his heel. And we have understood that to be a promise that God will send a savior who will defeat the serpent, who will defeat the devil so that we can be reconciled to God so that we can go back to the garden in a sense, that we can go back to this life of perfection. That's the second coming. But for that to happen, there's got to be a baby boy that's going to be born who's going to do the work, who's going to keep the promise 
And we wait for that promise for the end. And they waited for the promise of a beginning. The promise of a coming savior. And so let's step into their shoes to learn how to walk a little bit more comfortably in our own as we wait. So all through this Advent season, um, I'm going to preach on the Old Testament lessons. Um, Almost all of them are from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Even our midweek lessons, our midweek services, because um, we will have services at noon and at 7. The 7 o'clock service will be live streamed. Um, We're going to be looking at Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah 62 verses uh, 10 through 12 will be what we look at on those Wednesday evenings, which is the uh, uh, lesson appointed for Christmas Day. Um, But we're going to take a closer look at Isaiah Isaiah's going to come up 23 times in our Old Testament lessons this year. Last time I counted, there's like 52 Sundays in a year, right? I think we learned that somewhere in elementary school. 23 of them this year will be from Isaiah. It's a good book for us to look at. So who's Isaiah? Isaiah was a prophet. You know, prophets, when we think about uh, somebody who has this prophetic ministry, we often think of foretelling the future. But really, the work of a prophet, uh, one of God's prophets, is to foretell God's message. Now, sometimes God's messages concern the future, right? And so there is kind of that, that predicting the future aspect to what prophets do and prophets did. Um, but uh, um, for the most part, the job of the prophet was to say, thus says the Lord. To proclaim the word of God to his people. And, and, and that's, you know, that's really what it's all about. And, you know, more often than not, it was about repentance. It was about sin and God's forgiveness. And the foretelling of the future part was about keeping this promise that was handed down from generation to generation that someday there's going to be one who will crush the serpent's head. Someone who is going to bring reconciliation with God. And Isaiah speaks to us about the coming of that Savior some 600 years before Jesus was born. And he talks so much about this coming Messiah that Isaiah has actually been called the fifth gospel. And we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at Isaiah because he talks so much about Jesus even before Jesus has been born. So let's go back roughly 2,600 years ago and hear Isaiah preach to you as you wait for a Savior to come. And today, as you hear him preach, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, and you made your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. 
when you did awesome things that we did not look for. You came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. When? When did God come down and cause the mountains to shake? Do you remember this? In the book of Exodus, God saved his people from slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and he brought them into the wilderness, and he came to them, and the mountains quaked at his presence. And what Isaiah is doing here is he's reminding God and reminding us that our God is a savior who works powerfully and he brings fear and trembling to his enemies. Do we long for this? For God to tear open the heavens and to come down to make the earth shake? You know, we live in a world, we live in a world that mocks our prayers. We live in a world that looks at us and, and, and it sees our weakness and says they're meaningless. We are perceived as far from essential to this world. And often, anymore, when people think about the church, they don't even see what we do or who we are as good. What will we do? And yet we have a God who acts on behalf of his people, on behalf of those who wait. Don't you love waiting? And that's exactly what we've been called to do, to wait. To wait until the world's scrutiny and the world's judgment just piles up on us because we're trusting in one who is yet to come. To bear with whatever the world throws at us because we know God's promises. Because our confidence is not in the approval of the government or the, the, the public opinion. It's in who God is. What he has done. And so Isaiah continues, he says, You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? This righteousness is something that I think we get a little bit goofed up on. We think it's the good things that we do. But righteousness is actually a good gift that God gives to us. Where he makes us right with himself. And yeah, that will change your life. It gives you a new standing before God. How can that not change your life? But when we stand in that righteousness and we stand in that forgiveness, it's going to also make us aware 
that God was angry and we sinned. And in our sins, we've been a long time. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. You ever have that feeling like just everything in the world is falling apart? You know, that's where the people of God were some 600 years before the Savior was born. And maybe we can sympathize with them as we look at what happens in our world today. Who will save us from all this sin and depravity? You know, this little phrase in here, you know, all of our good deeds are like a polluted garment. <laughs> the good stuff you do is like a dirty diaper, kids. Fantastic. And actually, the Hebrew is more graphic than that. Sometimes it's just overwhelming. And what do we do with that? How will we be saved from the sin and depravity that surrounds us and tempts us and it leads us to believe that, that, that maybe God does not act at all and that maybe we really are just here floating on this rock in the middle of space and there is no hope, that there's no point in waiting. Did God really say that he would send a savior? It's kind of similar to the question that was asked of Eve. And that's the question that's asked of us. And we feel this tension. And God's people felt it all that time ago, wondering, will there be salvation? And then Isaiah continues to preach. He says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are the work of your hands. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. You know, I've played with Play-Doh but the whole pottery thing, it's way beyond my skill. My nieces do it. It's pretty cool. In Ephesians 2, it says we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship. That word workmanship in the Greek is poema where we get our word poem. You are God's pottery. You are God's poem. You are God's work of art. He is your father who formed you, who made you. And you must remember his love for you. We are absolutely dependent on him. And our place is, our place is to wait. As we wait as his people, we know our impurity. We know our sin. But we know our Savior is coming. 
we know what he has done. Because once he did come down and he ripped open the heavens with a mighty hand and outstretched arms, he gave his life in order to redeem us and to save us. We remember those deeds of salvation that took place in the past as we look to the future, trusting that he will keep his promises that have yet to be fulfilled. Our God is a God who acts, but he acts in his time. And our place is to wait for him. But that doesn't mean we do nothing. We've experienced God's salvation. Isaiah experienced it through the Exodus. Not that he was there, but his forefathers were there. And that has been handed down to him. Just as you have experienced God's salvation through Jesus at the cross. Not that you were there. But that salvation came to you in your baptism. And it comes to you in the Lord's Supper as he gives you this salvation. And we know that our Savior is coming. He's coming. Prepare. Stay awake. Repent. Receive his grace. And live as though you have a father who loves you, who loves this world, who loves your neighbors, a creator who formed you, a God who acts for you. As you deal with the things of this world, as the world keeps up on you, wait. Because the manger is coming. And just as surely as the manger, the cross and the empty tomb. And just as surely as the cross and the empty tomb, the second coming. God acts. He brings salvation for you. Amen.